Here we go. Welcome to Saying Second Sports. Uh, we are back with another great episode. I am John Schofield, uh, former Naval Academy PAO, joined by my co-host Ward Carroll, class of 82, and our special recurring guest uh, for some great Q&A, Bill Wagner. Uh, so here we are, um, late August. We never really thought we'd see this, but we see it. Uh, football is right around the corner. Um, it's, it's been announced, as we talked about on the last pod, that the, um, the BYU game will, in fact, be played, but it will be played without fans. We do know um, that it is under consideration to let the Brigade of Midshipmen uh, participate uh, in the game, but nothing has been officially put out. But the biggest thing is football is here, and I know that I was excited when I saw the release this morning that said that the ESPN team calling the BYU Navy game is none other than Reese Davis and Kirk Herbstreit. So kind of a big deal. Here we go. Let's talk about football and get into our kind of two-week prep for this game by talking to two of the Naval Academy's best when it comes to football alumni. And I'm talking about two members of the class of 92, uh, Mike Davis and David Lilliflorin. Uh, Mike Davis is actually a member of the Naval Academy Athletic Hall of Fame, played offensive lineman for four years at the Naval Academy, as did David Lilliflorin. David Lilliflorin retired um, as a commander in the U.S. Navy Reserves and is now a very prominent member of the business community in Annapolis, and both of whom were great teammates and still to this day great friends. Dave Lilliflorin and Mike Davis, thank you so much for joining Sing Second Sports. Thank you for having us. So I'll start with you, Mike. Um, how have you handled the pandemic? Um, you know, so as a sports fan like we are, I'm sure you've been kind of gripped with a lot of anxiety. Football's not going to happen. Football is going to happen. Now it's going to happen without fans. But as a sports fan, you know, and someone who's been so involved in the Navy, in the Naval Academy athletic program, how have the last couple of months kind of shaken your confidence in sports and what are you most looking forward to uh, in the upcoming season? I think like a lot of people, I have just been sitting here, biding my time, trying to fill it with other things to do, uh, stay in touch with family a lot more. As far as what am I looking forward to, obviously maybe football. I spent time in Marine Corps. We used to hurry up and wait and just sit around waiting for the word and not get too frustrated about anything. Something's going to happen, hopefully. Um, and if it doesn't, we'll deal with that when it comes. But just wait and see. Yeah, and, and that seems to be the, the attitude um, that a lot of the players and coaches have had. You know, and, and obviously the, the, uh, you know, the, the talking point is that you have to have flexibility. I mean, if you've been through Plebe Summer, if you've been through an experience at the Naval Academy, if you've just been in the military, you know all about being flexible and, and adjusting fire based on the current event. So, um, yeah, I think you're, I think you're in good company, Dave, from your perspective, you know, you, you own a suite. Um, it's affectionately called the lily pad. We talked about it on the last pod, you know, as a ticket holder, longtime season ticket holder contributor, both you and Mike are, um, to the athletic program. 
you know, what have you heard in terms of the evolution of this? You know, maybe you could have people in the suite, maybe not. Now it's definitely no fans. Have you heard anything about the possibility of fans being invited to future games, just not for BYU? Yeah, I, I think, the, you know, I think this is all fluid for everybody. So I think they're going to have to look at each game. So obviously, you know, after 18 years in our suite, we've been looking forward to the fall for a long time. And I've never remembered not having a football in August, uh, you know, in a fall season. So um, I think everybody wants it. So I think we just got to play it week by week. I think, you know, going to BYU, you know, no fans, uh, you know, there's always that chance, you know, the, the mid's going to be able to go or, can you know certain people go to go to the game? You know, I think the first game, as long as we're playing football, that's a good start. And you know, come Temple uh, in September, uh, if they can say, "Hey, you know, we're going to open it up more because things have changed," we'll be jumping on that. So uh, fingers are crossed. But yeah, it's definitely uh, you know not going to a Navy home game. I don't know what I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so I'll ask one last question before I throw it over to Ward Carroll. You've remained great friends. You were both a member of a very good class, class of 92. Mike uh, served in the Marine Corps, Dave in the, in the Navy, and you've, you've both gone on to very successful civilian careers. And what we talk about on the pod is the success of the athletic mission and the bonds that you form as part of the athletic mission of the Naval Academy, setting you up for success going forward. For each of you, and I'll start with Dave, What's your fondest memory uh, of being on the football field, uh, either together or against an opponent? You know, was it blocking for Alton Grizzard? Was it a big win? Was it an emotional loss? What, what's the memory that really sticks with you? Well, obviously, you know, the fortune to be able to play with my best friend uh, since second grade, uh, you know, rec ball and, uh, you know, junior high and high school and then playing at Navy with Alton Grizzard was very special. And but I went to prep school for a year, so he was a year ahead when we went to the academy. But I get I gotta say, like anything else, um, the last play I ever suited up for uh, was the Army Navy game. We won twenty four three our senior year. I was playing right guard in the very last play. They called my number, and we it was a nineteen power pulled came around and uh, fourteen yard run by the by, by our back. Uh, the whistle blows and we win. We beat Army 24-3, and the mids rush the field, and they they, they pick us all up because we were 0-10 that year, and we won that last game. and was the last play I ever did. Has to be my most favorite memory on the field. Mike, how about you? Mirror and Dave, obviously Army-Navy game is always special, I think, to every Navy football player. And that was, that was my last game. And like he said, that was just a tough season for us. Um, definitely uh, the antithesis, of, I think, of what we thought we were going to do that year. And just playing that last game, we finally put together a really good game, and everyone just bought in and then winning that game and then walking off the field. That was, my, that was the first and only time my mom saw me play at Navy. That just – that was a great feeling. And then going and hanging out with her for a little bit after that game was over with, that's probably my best moment uh, on the football field at Navy. So I'm, I'm – Guessing you guys are happy with how Navy football has evolved since your days on the field. Oh, yes, absolutely. The year, uh, the year that we got our suite in 2003 was the first year. This is our 18th fall having this suite. That was the year we went 8-5 and five and had a winning season, and we went on the run. So I actually, yeah, I think the suite had something, us joining the suite had something to do with these, this great run we've had since 03. So, yeah, very excited about what's happened since then. Absolutely. It comes down to the intangibles, as we all know. 
<laughs> so I, I don't I don't discount the sweet has had something to do with it. So it sounds like Dave, from your uh, your words there, that you're cool with the decisions that have been made around uh, fans and sweets. Safety first. If, if everybody feels we have, to, you know, that's what what we need to do. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm. Uh, if they said we can do this, you know, modify it or uh, or there's some way we can work around it. Of course, I'd like to get in the game. Uh, like I said before, we we're fans that actually go and watch the game. I don't know what to do. So if there's any opportunity, of course I would. Am I am, am I disappointed? Yeah, everyone's disappointed, but it, it is what it is, and we have to we have to roll with it. Every person that graduates from that school. We all have something in common, whether you play the sport or not. At some point, if you're interested in Navy football, you have either watched it or listened to that game, and you weren't there because we couldn't do that because we you were you were most likely deployed. And you know, like you said, safety's first. And if we if they can have a season in play, and there won't be any fans there, then I'll treat that like I was on a deployment, and I'll just watch every single game in front of the television at home. Yeah, Mike, you're, that's a great point. I, mean, I remember in 1990, uh, I was on deployment in 95, uh, 3 in the morning in the Persian Gulf, just listening to the radio and wishing I was at the game. And uh, I was just listening to the Army-Navy game on Armed Forces Radio. I mean, I think you're right, Mike. Everyone's kind of done that. So we'll adapt and overcome on that, I guess. More than once, I sat in the ready room in my Army B-robe that I won in a B-robe bet. We used to have those things, remember? Um, that was the year we won. I think that was 1980. We won 33 to nothing. Um, and so we'd sit in the ready room and, and watch the game. Sometimes it wasn't real time, but generally it was. And uh, it would be all the Navy grads, and it was just good times. And, you know, it mattered. So, I mean, as long as they get out there and they play, and they're going to play hard every single game, then I'm going to, you know, whether we can go there and watch it in person or not, I'll, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy some Navy football this fall. But I, I will say this, though, for the fan, for, for the for a player. And, Mike, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about us. You know, when you go on the field, you, you don't really hear anybody in the stands. But what you do – but then, he, then you do hear them in the stands. You hear the cheering. So and, – and, and I wonder if home field advantage exists when you're playing on a field except you're playing on the, your, your field. Obviously, that's motivation. But I'm curious not playing in front of fans. Uh, I've never done that. And I'm just curious how the players will react to that. And – and when it's fourth quarter and you're going in overtime. So think about this. When we, when we played, how intense some of those scrimmages got. Right. And we, we didn't have fans because you're like, oh, man, I do not want this person. I do not want the guy that I'm responsible for beating me. So I think that those, I mean, those guys are athletes. They're very competitive. They, they have an intensity that they want to win. Um, and do I think that the fans are going to affect that. I don't know. We're going to have to find out, but I do know that they're probably the same breed that have always played football. They don't want to lose. And so where they have 35, 40,000 people cheering for them or just the coaching staff, the cheerleaders and whoever else can come to the game and maybe no one. I don't know if that's going to impact their effort all that much or their desire to win because they're going to get, I mean, like I said, we have some scrimmages, where we got really, really intense with people, and those people are our friends. They're still our friends today, but we try to take their heads off. I don't think it's going to change. No, Mike, I agree with you. You know why? I, I remember our spring games. There was no one in the, in the stands, but everybody's fighting for a job. And when we had spring games back in the day, you went all go. <laughs> I tried to earn a, earn a position. 
So I guess you're right. It doesn't matter if the fans might be there. You want you want to win. You want to you want to play 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 well. With the recent passing of George Chomp, uh, I interviewed Jack Langle after George died, and because Jack hired George Chomp, and I was curious as to what they these guys thought went wrong. I mean, George Chomp was a great football coach and enjoyed a lot of success along the way in his career, and he was an innovative guy as far as passing offense. I mean, he's the guy that was credited with bringing Woody Hayes into the 20th century as far as being able to throw the ball at Ohio State because he was three three yards in a cloud of dust. But do you think just wrong fit, wrong place for a guy who wanted to throw the ball around and it's just not Navy's cup of tea? But, you know, I I think when I talked to Jack Lengel, he said, you know, that was one of his – Big regrets is that this chomp thing didn't work out because he was so certain he would. Obviously, uh, Jack Lengel was a Marshall guy, and George Chomp had been at Marshall and had great success. But what do you think went wrong there? Yeah, it was a dark time, right? So, you know, we had um, some of us had letters from Tranquil, Coach Tranquil. And then, you know, when you're like a junior in high school or sophomore, and then you get recruited by uh, Coach Uzalak. And then Coach Uzalak's going, hey, I'm going to bring the wishbone we're going to do wishbone, which is a, you know, which is not much different than what happened in 96 when Weatherby came in and Johnson came in. So, so you have, you get recruited by kind of one staff, one coach, you get, you got coach Uzak for two years for, for Mike and I. And so you got this one kind of, let's go run the ball, you know, run block and, uh, and that kind of mindset. And then you have your, our junior year, you have, you know, coach Chop and I, and I, I mean, we had great coaches come in, and they're going, we're going to go past the ball. And you're almost training these guys that's been, you know, I was a pre- I was at NAPS, so I was running running the wishbone. I was running the wishbone freshman year. So, so I think you got my point. We're like, we're moving into now we're going to change gears. And that takes a lot of recruiting to get those type of players in. So we go from Alton Grizzard, who, you know, literally, you know, was number one all-time ground, you know, all-time offensive for a long time. It's still in the top three or four. Uh, on some difficult teams with that type of different systems. And we end up going to a, um, our senior year, you put Kubiak in and we throw the ball and he throws a great, he throws a lot of yards. So it's just more of the, for us, I think we're like victims of the change and uh, it was very difficult. Uh, I mean, our, our, our junior year, we were, we were five and six. We're going to five and five in army. We had probably, we had really good team to go to the next year, but then, what we went in the next year, you know, we just, it was a transition time and uh, we were part of that, uh, but we're still part of, you know, part of the war. So it, it, was, it was challenging for us. The last thing I'll ask is um, talk about the uh, brotherhood, the Navy football brotherhood. Frank Shank done a really good job of building that up and making it a really viable organization. And they're doing a lot of good things. I got to figure a guy like you, Lily has gotten involved and is all in on the brotherhood. Um, can you just talk about that organization and what it's doing and how it's really brought together the Navy football alums? Well, I will tell you that Frank Shank, gets, and, he does, and he's very humble about it, but he's gonna, if he hears this, Frank, is, uh, uh, when we were, I guess it was what, nine years ago, whatever it was, after Army-Navy, a bunch of us got together off of uh, 301 and 50, and he said, hey, how do we get this going? And Frank took it by the reins, and he has run with it, and it's grown to, you know, over a thousand of alumni brotherhood players and what he's done has been great. And it just brings us all together in many levels uh, from mentoring to 
just the fact that you know tailgating to you know tickets and getting involvement to away games for alumni we, we are getting a footprint wherever we go uh there's there's the brotherhood is there and it's been transformational it's uh, it was long overdue uh, you know, people can say we've always had the brotherhood but now it's just magnified mike do you want to chime in on that so agree with everything Lily says of course Frank has done a lion's share of work, and he, in days right, he's probably been humble, probably too humble, too modest about all of his efforts. There have always been a lot of Navy football players out there supporting, but like he said, it's much more organized now, uh, probably more goal-oriented and trying to pass knowledge on to those who are coming behind us, whether it's, hey, this is what we did in the, Mil in the Marine Corps or Navy, these are some experiences we had or if they're thinking about transitioning, whether after their, some point in their commitment or they get retirement, those things that we didn't have that, that we didn't have, you know, somewhat set, us, set up where organizers, you could get to the right rather easily. Yeah, of course you'd run into people who play just from being in the fleet or wherever, but now having that resource where they can actually like, hey, I'm going here, this is what I'm going to be doing. Anyone have any information on me for me? And maybe it's beyond just those people that were there within the two, three years before you that graduated, but people that have actually been out there for a while. I'll end by just asking kind of tongue in cheek. I know a big a member of the Brotherhood who still listens to the pod is Captain Mike Riggins, the military deputy director of athletics, <laughs> my old office mate. I just have to ask you, you're two big offensive linemen, a little bit of mean streak in you. Did you have the chance, you know, in a scrimmage or in a spring game after you, like, broke through the first line of blocking to just pancake a small uh, cornerback like Mike Riggins back there? Okay, first of all, those guys, when you get out – I don't know if Lily's going to back me up on this or not, but when you get out of the open and you're trying to block those guys, you know, the odds of you really getting a, a good hit of them are just so incredibly small. The biggest thing is that you want to get in their way, so – I don't know if I ever had a chance to hit Mike. I don't think I ever. I don't think I ever. I don't remember ever hitting the DB out 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 in the field that way. Maybe if they were trying to blitz and you could steal them, but I don't remember hitting one in the, in the outfield open. Lily might have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll give you a funny well, two anecdotes. One is uh, Boston College game. I try to go out there and hit the quarterback. Uh, and I ended up getting uh, hurting my ankle and a 15-yard penalty for pushing it in the back. So that tells you how hard it is to hit a quarterback <laughs> out, out in the open field. Uh, uh, John, you, I know you want to end this way, but I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, Matt Munley, I guess, kind of got us brought us up. I, I will tell you about a Matt Munley story, which I told Matt I'm going to have to bring this up. But Matt, Mike and I were at his wedding, and uh, Mike and I are officially the last person to see him the night before his wedding. Dude, what are you doing right now? <laughs> What's that? He's no, no, kill no, all of us. Stop. No, no, he won't. I told Matt. You know, that, that, that's all I'm saying is we were the last people to officially see him the night before his wedding. That's a very great honor. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, really, really awesome conversation, and and let's do this again throughout the football season. Uh, get you back on here. Break down. Um, how the games are going, how the brotherhood is uh, is sticking together, and and hopefully you have some uh, some fans in the lily pad there to to enjoy the games up close and personal. But 
on behalf of Ward Carroll and Bill Wagner and our producer, Chris Ravello, thank you uh, again to uh, Mike Davis and David Lillifhorn for joining the uh, Sync Second Sports Podcast. Have a good one, guys. All right. Hey, uh, Class of 92, offensive lineman Mike Davis and Dave Lillifhorn, uh, thanks for joining us. We are going to go to break. Uh, when we return, we will uh, break down uh, a little bit more of uh, the positions that are out there. Wags has a great... Uh, commentary on two very important positions that play a role in Navy's success on both sides of the ball. So stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. I am so happy to be joined by Bill Wagner. We are going to break down some positions here with the Naval Academy football team. Um, It's part of our coverage leading up to the BYU game. Um, We are going to break down positions, the players at those positions, where we think the weaknesses are, where we think the strengths are. So, you know, a, a, a huge part of Navy's strengths for the entirety of of the triple option experience has been kind of that slot back um and i'm thinking of like the shun whites and you know like incredible players of the past um you know you can you can fake the handoff to kyle eckel and then toss it out to you know any slot back malcolm was a slot back for a while so bill like i'd be interested in your breakdown of the slot back position this year, will it be a strength? Will it be a weakness? And who is going to surprise? Who's going to break through? Who's going to be the next Malcolm Perry? John, you are so right about the importance of the slot back position in the triple option offense because they do so much. They go in tail motion and they catch the pitch. They block for one another. If one slot back is taking the pitch, it means the other slot back is his lead blocker. If Navy drops back to pass, the slots are involved in the passing game and are critical. And lastly, the slot backs block linebackers and safeties. They're involved with other blocking schemes in different plays. So the slot backs have a a very versatile role and are crucial. Traditionally, slot back has been one of the deepest positions on the Navy football team. This season, due to some circumstances, That is not necessarily the case. Uh, They had two slot backs decide not to play football this season. They were both seniors. One of them was a projected starter. You may remember Keone Cordell Macacow. We uh, call him 2K because his name is long and difficult, but 2K was slated to be a starter, and he decided not to play football for personal reasons. The other was Tyreek King L., He also was on the depth chart. And so that's two senior veterans that are not playing for Navy this season. So they've had to move some players into that spot to bolster the depth. Here's who you have returning that you know you can count on. Number one, number 23, our friend Miles Fells, who I believe is going to have a huge senior season, uh, did a lot of great things last season. If you remember in the bowl game, against BYU, I mean, against uh, Kansas State, rather. He trucked a cornerback out of bounds. It was one of the highlights of the game. 
Uh, Miles Fells is very, very skilled, very talented player. However, it speaks volumes to what I'm speaking of with regard to the depth. Chance Warren, who was a wide receiver last season and then was given an audition, a brief albeit, at quarterback this season, he has been moved to slot back. He didn't go back to receiver because slot back is where he's needed more. And already, my sources tell me, he is number one on the depth chart. So here's a guy that was a starting receiver last season. He started this preseason at quarterback. He switches to slot back, and he's already number one on the depth chart. Here's your other candidates at slot back, uh, John. C.J. Williams, and that's been the other issue. C.J. Williams is a returning starter, another talented player. You'll recall from last season, C.J. made a lot of downfield catches a lot of important plays in the passing game. That's where he's been particularly valuable. CJ is a very talented player, but he's been injured. Coach Niamatololo told us on his latest Zoom press conference that CJ is doubtful slash questionable for the BYU opener. So we don't know if CJ is going to be available. He would be the starter or right there with Miles Fells if he's available, but we don't know his status due to injury. But behind that, there's some guys they've moved in there, John. Carlinos AC, Chicky Atuluka. These guys didn't even play slot back last year. Chicky was a safety. I believe AC played wide receiver. So it's a little bit thin, John. On that note, do you think there are surprises out there? Like, so Perry Olson, you know, and, and we're not saying that Perry's not going to be the starting quarterback against BYU. But are there possibilities with all of these athletes? Because all these dudes can play so many multiple positions. It's like Emmett Davis. You know, like Emmett Davis is a wide receiver. He played quarterback at Broadneck. He's an athletic kid. All of these guys are out there just to wear the jersey and play whatever position they want, you know, that the, the team tells them to play. And they all want that. Malcolm Perry experience where at halftime they get called out of the stands and they're whites like, Hey, put on your football uniform and play. Do you think there is an opportunity for one of the other, like, you know, assumed uh, starters or quarterbacks to shift over and play slot if Dalen eventually becomes the quarterback and kind of mix things up? Well, that's an interesting question, and it is a possibility if they coaching staff decides they need to further improve the depth, they could move some players in there. Now, they have already begun to do that. I'm told there's another wide receiver who has switched to slot back that they're giving a good look at, um, and they're not, there's plebs. They're, the plebs situation this year is very interesting. The Navy plebs were not did not begin practice when they normally would have done so due to the whole COVID situation and coming back and quarantining, et cetera, et cetera. There's a, a, a couple plebs with talent that could potentially factor in, and I'm thinking specifically about guys that were at the prep school last year and therefore practiced in the system, played some games in the system, and I could see some plebs perhaps factoring into the mix. I should, I'd be remiss if I did not mention two other seniors, Garrett Wynn, who is listed number two on the depth chart, and Justin Smith, who's kind of a steady Eddie, does everything right. Those two are going to play as well in the slot back room. But yes, uh, there may be some developments with slot back as the season progresses, John. 
So as we close out the slot back session, like who is your, like if you had to predict someone who comes out of nowhere, a name that just, you know, splashes onto the scene, who's that name this year, you know, from the slot back position where they're like, man, that guy scored a 70, you know, 70 yard touchdown. How'd that happen? Who's your number one? I'm hearing really good things about Carlinos AC and Garrett Wynn. I mean, uh, Miles Fells has some very complimentary things to say about Carlinos when I spoke to him on Zoom this week. But the other name maybe to to kind of keep out there is Devin High. He's the other wide receiver has moved over to slot back. They don't move guys from one position to another unless they feel they have ability and can contribute. So they're moving Devin High to slot back so he can play. So maybe Devin High is a, game, a name that we hear, you know, a few weeks down the road after he's had an opportunity to learn the position. All right, so now shifting gears, Wags, you know, equally as important on the defensive side of the ball, the Mike and the Will positions. Um, we talked to Diego Fago earlier, you know, in the pod history. Yeah, this is a very important position, um, you know, the, the, the inside linebacker position on defense, you know, in order to pressure the quarterback, in order to stop the run, in order to drop back and, you know, stop screen passes or, or you know, quick slants. How is this position for you in terms of, you know, like quality? Because a lot of the American Athletic Conference teams – have a lot of talented, quick guys who go across the middle. No one really associates Navy with quickness and athleticism, which is always a mistake. I don't know why they do that. So who, who are our go-to guys this year? Well, first of all, to explain or illustrate the importance of the inside linebacker, all you have to do is pick up Navy's media guide and look at the leading tacklers over the last 10 or 11 years. Ever since Navy went to in essence, a 3-4 alignment, the inside linebacker has led Navy in tackles almost every year. You, know, you think of your Ross Pospisils. Uh, I mean, we can go on and on all of the inside linebackers that Navy's had, outstanding inside linebackers over the years. But the reason is because in a 3-4 alignment, the whole goal is to, to funnel Basically, you keep the inside linebackers clean so that they can run sideline to sideline and make plays. So Navy is fortunate to have an absolute superstar at one inside linebacker position. The Mike position, Mike as in middle linebacker, that's Diego Fago, first team All-American Athletic Conference last season, budding superstar. You know, you were on the Zoom conference call with Brian Newberry when you asked him about his pro potential and he said, absolutely, I think he's your prototypical NFL inside linebacker. Diego Fago is a playmaker. I think he's going to have a massive season this year. He's only a junior. Lord knows how good he's going to be as a senior, but I think he's going to go down as one of the greatest defensive players in Navy football history. And I do believe he's going to get a very good look at the NFL. So basically one position is entirely covered. And Brian Newberry told us, in the Zoom call, and also P.J. Volker, who is the inside linebacker's coach, they are going to use Diego Fago to every ounce of his ability. They're going to do all sorts of things to make him a playmaker. They are going to let him loose to push the line of scrimmage, to blitz, run blitz, pass blitz, everything you can to disrupt. 
So Diego Fago is going to be very active and a force. The Navy is also very fortunate to have a very good, uh, what they call the will linebacker. That's the weak side inside linebacker. Tama Tuatelli had a great freshman season going, and then he got injured. So Tama, for about four or five games, was outstanding. They loved everything about him. They loved his instincts. They loved his physicality. Tama Tuatelli is a pretty big guy. He's 250 pounds. I mean, that, that excellent size. So Tuatelli and Figo provide a perfect one-two punch. The problem, John, is behind them. Uh, I'm looking at this step chart and seeing names I don't know anything about. Behind Diego Fago at Mike, Mitchell Johns, a junior, Trent Shiraki, a sophomore. Neither of them played a meaningful down last season. Behind Tuatelli at Will Linebacker, Gavin March, a sophomore, Michael Salisbury, a junior. Never heard of either of them. So depth at the inside linebacker position is an issue. In a future pod, we'll talk about the striker outside linebacker position. But part of the reason the depth inside is thin is because one of the best players, Austin Talbert Loving, was moved outside to striker to make up for all the losses there. So I am concerned about the depth behind Diego and Tama at the inside linebacker positions. Navy better help, hope they both stay healthy all season or at least until they can give these other younger players, younger inexperienced players, a little more seasoning. That's true. And, and you know, everyone subscribes to this next man up, you know, scenario of, hey, it's not a big deal, even if the star gets hurt. But, I mean, yeah, we're, we're recording this during the NBA playoffs. When Damian Lillard gets hurt, you can see the Portland Trailblazers fall apart. So that's the thing is that I don't think, and, and we've seen it in the past, we've seen quarterbacks get hurt. We've seen defensive stars get hurt. You've seen guys in the Navy team get hurt, you know, who are like Damian Lillard, but the next man up thing is really embodied a lot more than I've seen in, a, in, in other programs, really. So, you know, it, there might be names out there who are not known right now. And if Diego gets hurt, God forbid, if anyone on the offensive end, slot backs or quarterbacks get hurt, you know, next man up, you'll have guys coming in and really filling in well. And, you know, that maybe that's a good thing. You know, and, and so, you know, that's why we're breaking down these positions. I think it's it's a real credit to your, to your knowledge about the Naval Academy football team. Um, I, I, think, I think we broke down, you know, the, the number one important position is quarterback, but after that it's slot back. And, uh, you, know, you know, now you're talking about your Mike linebacker on defense. We're, we're going to break down all the positions leading up to the BYU game. So stick with us. Excellent commentary by Wags. You can always read his stuff in the Capital Gazette. Um, and, you know, please stick with us. We're going to go to break. This is Sing Second Sports. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. 
All right, we are back on Sing Second Sports. Uh, we're going to start our new segment here today. Um, as we've been talking about with the BYU game and the upcoming football season, it's going to be a football season unlike anything we've seen before. But still, I know that a lot of grads and Navy fans are going to be coming back into town um, to you know see the campus. They were hoping to see a game. We'll see what attendance is going to be like uh, going forward. But, you know, we're going to keep trying to highlight businesses uh, in and around downtown Annapolis, those businesses that have been most adversely affected by the pandemic. And as Annapolitans, you know, we're very partial to make sure that we're taking care of these businesses or at least making it known uh, that they're here and available for grabs and Navy fans to patronize. This week, we are really happy to be joined by Brian Bolter. He is the owner and operator of not only Dry 85 on Main Street, but Red Red Wine Bar as well. And share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. They also own and operate the Dry 85 location in Ocean City. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's been like for you from like February to present day, how hard it's been as a local Annapolis business owner? John, thank you very much for having me. Uh, yeah, as you can imagine, the beginning of uh, COVID restrictions has started March 16th, March 17th. And then uh, when Governor Hogan shut down all restaurants for indoor and outdoor seating, and then um, we gave it a week for carryout. So we went to March 23rd and recognized that carryout only, particularly in our small downtown historic storefronts, uh, was just not a viable revenue option. So we shut down March 23rd. We were shut down until basically uh, Dry 85 opened the last week of May and then Red Red Wine Bar opened the first week of June, anticipating Governor Hogan opening up the indoor dining uh, option for us. And, you know, it, after that, the, the shock of it all, letting go all of our staff, um, not knowing where we were going and what the future held uh, was was a difficult time. And, and any restaurateur will tell you that. And nobody really knew what the future held. Um, but I feel like we have really turned the corner uh, it, it initially with the allowance for all the Navy fans and f uh, family and extended family that are coming to Annapolis, really turned the corner in terms of both doing business safely and also um, making it as normal as possible. And so we are, uh, we were the initial focus, the initial push to create outdoor dining in all of Annapolis. Uh, over, over quarantine, I recognized that there was no way that we were able to uh, have a viable stream of revenue with only 50% or limited indoor dining and then our small storefronts in historic Annapolis uh, with our outdoor dining. It just just doesn't make uh, nickels and dimes, doesn't make sense. So uh, we pushed and we were the, we got a thousand signatures within a week uh, on an I petition and we're able to get the city to recognize that we're very serious about doing outdoor dining. The, the city took that and ran with it and we're able to create recovery zones in Annapolis. So any of the Navy family that comes downtown will have multiple options uh, to visit multiple parts, multiple neighborhoods of our historic downtown and our city and enjoy outdoor dining. Um, and it's really, as I, you know, sort of, it's a long-winded answer to your question, but as I started to say, it's really been a way for us to sort of turn the corner and create something new, 
yet still familiar and normal and uh, with the safety protocols that we have in place. And I know that's uh, extremely important to us. And I know it's extremely important to our crowd because our crowd um, tends to uh, skew, you know, towards wanting to have a, a, a nicer experience. We're not pubs, but we're not white linen tablecloths. We're right in the middle, but we uh, have an elevated dining and drinking experience. And so we've been able to really turn the corner. And I can tell you all the safety protocols if you wanted to know. But just in general, it just you know, it's it's like anywhere in the United States. Wear a mask uh, when you're inside. Sit down, enjoy yourself, and let us take care of the rest. Yep. And and I'll tell you, having followed it very personally, you know, you you and your wife Lisa, you know, the the owners and operators of Red Red Wine and Dry Eighty Five did a lot selflessly. Um, and took a lot of heat from other Annapolis businesses because you were trying to you were trying to look out for all restaurants and and giving them an option to you know to have outdoor uh, outdoor eating and and or dining and and if you haven't been to Annapolis if you're listening to this podcast if you walk up and down Main Street you'll see a, kind of a completely different scenario particularly down at City Dock uh, near McGarvey's and Middleton's. Yeah, that kind of looks like an, a, a big outdoor picnic area now. And as you come up toward uh, Red Red Wine and Dry 85, uh, there is outdoor um, eating available really on both sides of the street, but particularly on the side uh, where Chicken Ruth's, Fox's Den, you know, Red Red Wine and Dry 85 are. So really awesome options for people to come out and, and enjoy an experience in Annapolis. And if they go inside... I know that I can speak from personal experience. You have two big TVs in there. I'm sure on the night of the BYU game, um, yeah, that they'll have uh, the TVs tuned to BYU and and usually to Navy games when we're in there. But when you're inside, there's only a certain, there's a finite amount of space at the bar. Am I right, Brian? Correct. So we have spread uh, and take the the rules, regulations, and recommendations, uh, both from the CDC, the state, the county, and the city, uh, into... um, consideration and are doing everything possible to make sure that we are in compliance, uh, not just because we have to, but because we feel like it's our responsibility to do so to help in this time. And so uh, all the bar seating is spaced out uh, more than six feet. Uh, Our booths have all plexiglass dividers in between them. Uh, We do have two big booths that are totally separated by the main entrance in the front of the house. And then we have seating in the back of the house. And then we have, you know, more seating than we've ever had uh, ever for uh, outdoor under tents. And then that spills out into our spaces in front of the restaurants. uh, And then also out into, you know, about a third of the street of main street. So we have, we have plenty of seating uh, that's socially distant. uh, And then our staff, you know, we, we count ourselves very lucky that we have a very serious staff that takes everything uh, into consideration and understands that our safety protocols are a domino effect and that provides a safety net for our guests. And anybody, everybody's comfort level is different. So some people are comfortable coming in and not wearing masks, but we, uh, our staff takes a temperature check every single shift that they come in and uh, fill out a health questionnaire to make sure that they are ready to work for the day. Uh, every single staff member wears masks. All our guests who walk in wear masks. And then when they're seated, they obviously don't have to. And then we have socially different, distant seating 
uh, throughout both restaurants and then out into the streets. So we've really made, I, I feel like, the best of a difficult situation. And this right now is prime time for the Navy family to come out and experience our city and enjoy what we have to offer. And um, and really, you get the, the irony of it, John, is that you get probably, and it's never happened in downtown Annapolis, as far as I know, that we were at one point in time able to shut down the entire street, Main Street, and have outdoor seating almost all the way across the street. And even now that they've scaled it back a little bit, but we still have the street seating, you can look down over Main Street. And it is, as anybody will tell you, one of the best views in Annapolis. You see City Dock, you see the water, you see the boats, and it's just an absolute beautiful setting on the upper block of Main Street. Yeah, and particularly last night as we're having this conversation in late August, it was surprisingly non-Mid-Atlantic this week, particularly last night for August, you know, where you could actually sit outside and not feel like you were, you were dying in a pool of your own sweat. And it's only going to get better as we get into uh, September and October. So, you know, again, I would, I would encourage, you know, all Navy fans listening to this, that if you, if you want a business that is, that is absolutely in it to win it for Annapolis, not for themselves, for, for Annapolitans, for Navy fans, it's Brian and Lisa and their staff at Red Red Wine and at Dry D5. I, I can tell you from personal experience, I've been in there and seen Governor Hogan, a lot of people from, you know, from Session, just right up from uh, State Circle. And, you know, it's, it's obviously a great place uh, with an awesome menu. I'll personally put the plug in for, for the BLT and the Dry D5 burger. And then, Brian, I'll, I'll leave it to you for the last question. You do like kind of a new menu twice a year, right? Like right around the summer for summer-based drinks. And then it should be coming up here for the fall, the new menu for like the, for the colder season. So number one, I'd ask you, when, when's the new drink menu going to come out for the fall? And if I were a new Navy fan rolling in there, you know, what, what drink should I order? What would you recommend? So we do, you're right. We do a, a seasonal cocktail menu at Dry D5, uh, and then we do a seasonal food menu at Red Red Wine Bar. Uh, for Dry D5, the seasonal cocktail menu, we have um, are, are ready to roll into that. Hopefully mid-September, late September, we can start uh, sitting down and figuring out what new cocktails we can put on the list. Um, and, and we are one of the few in town, I would say, that, that really um, cherish the craft cocktail industry uh, and vibe and really put a lot of thought, effort, uh, and hard work and, and sweat into making every single drink an interesting, uh, unique, and obviously balanced and, and tasty cocktail. So our, our, our craft cocktail program is, is on point for sure. Um, you know, 140 whiskeys, uh, we were named one of the top 40 whiskey bars in America by Whiskey Advocate Magazine. Um, and then we do craft beer. So we've got 12 uh, craft beer lines that are constantly rotating. We, we focus heavily, particularly from those coming from out of town, focus heavily on local, county, and then statewide, and then regional, regional for our, our, craft, our craft beer offerings. And then the menu at Jardy Five is, is gourmet, kind of stick to your ribs, comfort food. So delicious tricked up ribs and asabuco. And we've got four amazing burgers, which I, I would challenge anybody would rival five guys, although I don't tell them that because they have more money than I do. Um, so it's just, it's just a really cool, fun, interesting little spot that, uh, that, that is really garnered, uh, you know, both local, regional and inter and, and national attention. We hope international at one point. 
um, for for what we offer. And then River Wine Bar is uh, hand-tossed pizzas, coastal cuisine, 30 wines by the glass, 140 by the bottle. They, they sort of complement each other and we get, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this, John, and, and I'm sure your listeners won't repeat it, but we always get the, oh, she'll go to the wine bar and he'll go to Dry 5. And I always say, don't gender specify your drinks. Don't gender specify your food. I understand that kind of mentality, but we've got a little bit of everything for everybody uh, and, and really covers, I think, the spectrum uh, between both restaurants and they're only a, a, a door apart on Upper Main Street. If you're coming into Annapolis, if you live in Annapolis, um, these are great people who are taking care of Annapolitans, taking care of Navy fans. So once again, from the Sing Second Sports crew to you, Brian, and, and uh, your wife, Lisa, thank you for what you've done to fight for restaurants in downtown Annapolis. And thanks for having such a great business down here that, that I have oft patronized and, and uh, look forward to continue to do so. Awesome. Thank you, John. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks. We're going to head to break. Uh, again, that was uh, Brian Bolter of Dry D5. We'll put more information up on our social media about Dry D5 and Red Red Wine Bar. We're going to pay some bills now. When we return, we will take this out with Ward and Wags and me. You are listening to Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right, we're back. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, really good show. Uh, talking position breakdowns, talking about uh, the offensive linemen of old with Mike Davis and Dave Lillifloren, and also hearing some really good information about Annapolis from Dry-D5's uh, Brian Bolter, and more of that to come. Um, and I'll just kick it right to you, Ward, um, as, as, we, as we take it to the out. Here we are, we're two weeks away. You know, we're talking football, we're breaking down positions. For you, not only as a podcaster and, you know, someone who works on the Naval Academy, um, you know, but also as, as a sports fan, you know, how does it feel for you uh, in terms of, you know, the two weeks prior? Because for me, it almost feels like it's, it's not here yet. You know, it's only here in my own mind, but the flags aren't up on Main Street. You know, the, the excitement isn't there for all the obvious reasons. How's it affecting you? Well, I think it's uh, sort of surreal at this point. Um, as you said, none of the atmospherics that we normally uh, come to anticipate are happening. The email traffic from alums and, you know, some of the tailgate planning and people calling you, you know, as an Annapolitan, you always get that last minute phone call like, Hey, can I, you know, crash in the guest bedroom and, you know, which you come to really enjoy. It's a, it really is the right of fall uh, in a college town and specifically in, in Annapolis. So none of that is happening. Um, we're hearing things from NAAA. I've gotten some emails from the conference. The head of the chain gang has down selected to five guys. I made the cut. Um, but it doesn't seem real. So I think the first show we do after the first game, I'll have a lot to say about the reality of what we're into. You know, and, and it's one of those things like Einstein's speed of light. The closer you get, 
the the longer things get, right? Until you you can't get there from here. But um, you know, we're moving forward, putting one foot in front of the other. Looks like football is going to happen. I know Wags has got some game breakdowns and other things that he's planning on doing. Um, so let's imagine it's so and uh, deal with it uh, as as we have to. Wags, your take. Well, Ward used the word surreal, and that has been the case for me because this has been a preseason like uh, unlike any other I've ever experienced. It's uh, August. I would have been to 22, 23 Navy football practices by now. I would have seen for my own eyes exactly who's showing up, who is you know really playing well, performing well on a regular basis, consistent. I would know exactly who's winning position battles who's running with the starting unit, who's back up. I don't know any of that stuff. I'm, I'm talking to coaches on Zoom, and, you know, coaches aren't going to tell you stuff. Uh, they're not volunteering information. I asked Coach Niamatololo today on our Zoom presser, what are some of the position battles? Uh, has Mike Flowers taken control at nose guard um, or not? And he basically wouldn't answer. He said, I'm not going to give our uh, – opposition any information so I would that would not I wouldn't even be asking that question if I'd been going to practice on a regular basis um you know I we had coach Niamatololo told us CJ Williams the outstanding slot back is doubtful slash questionable for the opener then I talked to the slot backs coach and asked if CJ Williams is back practicing and he said yes so I don't know which is which it, is C.J. Williams hurt and not practicing, or or is he back? And, uh, I, again, if I was at practice, I wouldn't need to ask the question. I would see it from my own eyes. So it's been a frustrating preseason. It's hard to do my job in this climate, um, but uh, it is what it is, and it's also thrown me off as far as my usual routine. Normally, I've got a kind of a plan for how I attack preseason and what I'm going to do and I haven't been able to do that because I'm not really in control of interviews. Uh, normally, I go to Navy football practice and I tell Scott Strassmeyer, here's who I want to talk to. Um, now, he's telling me who I'm going to talk to. It's uh, basically a list of who's going to be on Zoom pressers all week and I can take it or leave it. So, it's been a bit of an odd odd preseason for me. Um, uh, it'd be nice if I can get back to attending practice sometime during this season, I tell you that. Yeah, I agree. And, and yeah, it's been, it's been utterly odd. The continued uh, pandemic worry back and forth. You've got big 10 fans wanking that, you know, that their, their teams aren't able to play, but other teams are playing. It's just, it's super odd, but I'll tell you what, what grounds me whenever I feel, you know, this, this kind of sensation of dread, it's, it's the Renaissance man, which is Ward Carroll being able to, hum a few bars, pitch perfect for the like stadium music, coupled with talking about an Einstein theory. Now that is a renaissance. <laughs> I got it all, man. Oh, look at that. That's perfect. It's like, I mean, you're, you're like Winston Marsalis. Yeah. Hey, I, I want to jump in because, I, I, again, I feel the need to be half full. Um, tell me you didn't get – we were on the yard earlier this week. Uh, we were over at NAAA. We drove around the practice field and to see them out there practicing, I mean, it never feels like football this time of year as a fan, 
right? I mean, yeah. I completely take on board what uh, everything that Wags has talked about and how it has been a challenge for his routine. But I mean, I guess for me, it got real. I feel like when we watch that game on Labor Day night, it's going to feel like, okay, now it's football season. And yeah, there's all the atmospherics and all the COVID nonsense, but come Labor Day, you know, Monday at eight o'clock, it'll be football season and, you know, maybe I'll be playing. So I'm kind of where Mike Davis was on on that. Yeah, I, I, I had that same feeling. And I think for any of us who played football, the rite of passage of August almost comes with as much dread as it does excitement, you know, because, hey, you're, you're excited to play football, but you're also not excited to do two a days in 95 degree heat for the entire month of August. So seeing them out there, yes, it made it real. It was neat. But, you know, then I immediately think to WAGS, you know, like you and I are able to drive on there because we're retirees and we have access to the yard, you know, and WAGS can't do his job the way that he wants. You know, it just forces everyone into a new place. And, and, and I think if we're seeing anything with the NBA and NHL and, and other teams or leagues that have gone forward, they just kind of embrace it and say, hey, we're going to make it work. Um, you guys can complain all you want, but we're going to make it work. And, and I kind of think that the American Athletic Conference is going to make that work. And as long as they do, uh, the Sing Second Sports Career will continue to bring you the information. Um, like we said, it's two weeks before the game, so we're going to bring you a lot of stuff for the football game. We're still going to talk to other athletes and other coaches, but we're going to really try to get you all read in and prepped for the uh, Naval Academy BYU game on September 7th. So stick with us. We're going to have some special segments coming up, some special deals, game like the day of the game. We got something planned, so definitely don't go anywhere. Check our social media If you're interested in sponsoring, we have plenty of sponsor opportunities. But until next week, for Bill Wagner, for Ward Carroll, um, and the 25 different Q-tip nasal swabs he's going to have to have over the course of the season to be COVID certified to work every game, and Chris Cervello, I am John Schofield. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week on Sing Second Sports. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.